This week's podcast is sponsored by Voodoo Ranger. If you're looking for that perfect companion for a night around the table reminiscing of stories once told, crack open a Voodoo Ranger IPA and roll for sass. Check out the free virtual D&D games brought to you by Voodoo Ranger during all nine days of PAX Online, starting this Saturday and running from September 12th through the 20th. And for beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly, live rangerously. Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. Uh, this is episode 24. Featuring I... Jack Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good actually. I was trying to think before we started whether I had anything in the chamber as a joke about the number 24 and couldn't think of anything. I'll tell um, you who's got one in the chamber. It's Jack, Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer of 24 fame. Um, yeah, that show that never seems to end. It lasts exactly I... 24 hours, doesn't it? Isn't that the, the conceit of 24? I've never seen 24. If you I tell. can almost guarantee that if it was slightly successful, they did more than they were supposed to. <laughs> mm. uh, well, before we move on to discussing 24, which is not what we're here to do, <laughs> uh, let's introduce ourselves because we've introduced Jack Bauer first. Yes, um, and yeah. he's, he's, he's running late. Yeah, so. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland not here replacing any of us. Um, I... As ever, I'm your host, Matt Jarvis. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Dicebreaker, and this week I'm joined by two of the team. Uh, I'm joined by Michael Wheel and Wills. Wheel and Wills. Michael. If you replace me with Kiefer Sutherland, then finally me and David Hayter have a reason to meet up and talk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! That would be awesome. And, of course, uh, Alex Meehan, staff writer for Dicebreaker, also here. I am also here. <laughs> I don't know what would happen if you replaced me with Kiefer Sutherland. Maybe like, I don't know, I guess it would be more gruff and sort of, you know, like hard and serious. I guess, you know, when you do your like, it's me and then you like look to the left and the right. He'd do that, but with a gun, like he's checking corners. <laughs> yeah, oh, just like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have a gun, luckily. <laughs> well, you're not Keith Sutherland, so that's fine. Mm. Tim the uh, Goblin played I'm by not. Kiefer Sutherland would be a very different dungeon breaker. <laughs> Can you imagine? He'd look like that guy oh out goodness. of Sin City. <laughs> <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about. The one who's like uh, all yellow and gross. What was this? Sorry, I missed the, the lead into this. Yeah, I just heard yellow gross. Yellow gross. I said, I think he'd look like the guy out of Sin City. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hate Sin City. I don't understand why it's popular in any way, shape, or form. Is that the Elijah Wood character? I don't know, but he's he's yellow and really gross, and I think Kiefer Sutherland would look like that, but green. Wow, I mean, so he hasn't arrived yet, because that's not a very nice comment to make about Kiefer Sutherland. He'd be Slimer from Ghostbusters, but in a burlap (laughs) sack. He's not here yet, so... Well, look, yes. I mean, he hasn't texted me, so I assume he's still coming. So let, let's just, you know, let's keep down the anti-Kiefer Sutherland rhetoric. <laughs> well, while we wait for Kiefer Sutherland, should we chat about board games and tabletop RPGs a bit? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, well, let's let's kick off with what we've been playing. Alex Meehan, let's go in reverse order. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I say that every week, like, I change up the order, but every week I think I say let's go in reverse order and start backwards. <laughs> Um, so, as Fine. usual, let's go in reverse order. And Alex Meehan, what have you been playing this week? Mm, put me on the spot. Uh, I have been playing 
a secret game <gasps> that I can't really talk about. Oh I'm goodness. just I'm just mentioning mentioning it to tease the listeners and the viewers that uh, something is coming about a secret game, and I have been playing it. I feel so. like they're constantly in that state, aren't they? <laughs> if they don't know if a feature is coming up, then it's always that. <laughs> it's, well, this one's particularly... So, like in board game world, to peek behind the curtain, mm. because, quite, well, all of us came from video games at some point. Video games full of embargoes, full of kind of like, you can't say anything about this, or you have to speak about specific parts of this game. Most of the embargoes in board game world just don't exist. So when yeah. something shows up, it's like, well, do what you want with it. Talk about it now if you want to talk about it in six months. It's, like, it's not out for this board 12 game. months. It came, yeah. out, it came out four weeks ago, but here you go. <laughs> but there, there have been slightly more. So there's the secret game uh, that Mian is is looking at at the moment. And then there was Pandemic Legacy, which was the first embargo that I had had in several years, mm. potentially. Um, and that's not out until October, I think. And that, that embargo was June time or July time. So that was like a weird kind of... Yeah. Yeah, it was unexpected to suddenly have a bugger. I wonder whether as board games get bigger, we'll see more of them. Yeah, um, I mean, you would you would assume, right? But I think part of that comes from the fact that, um, like, they're physical products, so they have to be a bit more sort of. Mo- most like small studios uh, can't afford to just hold on to mm. stock that long. So I think for for most of the small studios, which is to be honest, where most of the good games in this industry come from. They like as soon as they're they've got all of their copies ready, they have to ship them out because like they they can't afford to pay for a warehouse. So. Yeah, and so it's unpredictable it when they'll turn they up. Are. Yeah, <laughs> for some so. reason, when you were talking about oh, you just got to ship them out, I was imagining that scene from The Simpsons when Mo is like getting rid of all those pandas from his bar. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, scram! Get out! I don't know. Get them out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So. There's secret game, mm-hmm. uh, but luckily uh, people don't won't have to wait too long to hear about it. Um, other than secret game, I've also uh, been playing Roll for the Galaxy, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the digital version, as uh, Mr. Jarvis spoke about last week. Um, I've got my hands on the Steam version, so not the mobile one, the PC one. And yeah, it's, I've never actually played it before, so... This is the first time I'd even played the game. Uh, and it is incredibly confusing to start with. <laughs> because you just see all these symbols and you're like, I have no idea what any of this means. Um, but once you get your head around what the symbols mean and do, it's actually quite straightforward, to be honest. Like, um, yeah, it's just roll a load of dice. Uh, depending on what you get, you can do certain actions each turn. If you, so you have to lock in a certain action, but um, you can also try and guess what you think your opponent's going to also do on their turn. And if you put dice into that action as well, uh, then you also get to do the same action as them, uh, which is quite fun. Uh, And yeah, I lost, um, obviously, (laughs) Uh, but only by three points. Is this against other humans or the AI? Yes, this was <laughs> Mr. Chavez. Well, the, such little faith in the me. AI is notable in in Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy because it's by Keldon Jones. I want to say it's like a neural yes. network AI thing, 
um, which I think is just a nice excuse where if you get beaten, you can be like, well, of course, it's a neural network. It's it's absorbing <laughs> the entire internet. So well, of course, of course it, it, they did. Uh, they did take the soul of a chess master and inject <laughs> him into a computer. So <laughs> please kill me. <laughs> Um, no, I was playing against um, a friend who was also trying out, and we both thought that the, um, what would you call it, the adaptation um, was pretty good. I, like I said, haven't played the tabletop version they had, and they said that um, it actually sort of, what's the word, like, skips or does a few of the steps for you, mm. which actually makes the game just go faster so even though you're missing out on that satisfying feeling of rolling the the dice and you know shifting through them to see what you've got um it it does go apparently quicker than the than you would you know playing the tabletop version the the problem with the tabletop version going digital is that they've lost the cups that come with the game (laughs) they no longer get free cups (laughs) no the game asks you to put the dice you want in the cup but there's no there's not even like a like a facsimile of a cup it's just the cup is a space (laughs) on the screen i haven't played roll for the galaxy but i assume it's the loudest game on earth because you're like rolling clattery dice around in plastic cups i feel like it must be beaten by perudo or liar's dice right because that is also cups of dice but you you start with like 12 dice and everyone's like If you play a fancy one, though, you have, like, a leather cup, don't you? Oh, well, we never had leather cups in our house, Michael. (laughs) In my day, we used cans, tin cans that we found on the street. We found (laughs) snare drums, and we filled them with dice and made as much noise as possible. I made a cup out of bones of small animals. (laughs) I only have one eardrum left. (laughs) Gosh, enough ribbing. A. A. Uh, bones. Um, and the other <laughs> bone thing. Joke, I... My bone fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you, you're not talking about bones, the television. This one goes series. out to all the boners in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> you, you're not talking about the television series Bones. Starring, no. starring David Boreanaz. No, nobody is talking about the television <laughs> show Bones. <laughs> and neither should we. Yeah, what else have um, you been playing? <laughs> it doesn't start with Kiefer Sutherland, so act it. Yeah, we're not interested. Um, the only other thing I've been playing is the Alien RPG, mm. um, which you can now watch the playthrough of that on our YouTube channel. Um, YouTube slash Dicebreaker. YouTube.com forward slash Dicebreaker, yeah. That's the one. Um, I don't work in the video team. No, but you've heard me out. You've been on the internet about four hundred times. Uh, I have been on the internet. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Uh. Wheels GM'd. Uh. Did a very fine job. Wheels was was mother. Isn't that what it's called in the alien game mother? Yeah. Game mother. That's it. Yeah. Mama. Mother is the name of the AI they have on the ships, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Which is often not like morally working against them, but you know, gets programmed to work against them. But in this case, uh, Michael Whelan was working with us to make a very uh, fun and exciting... To to tell a fun story. (laughs) Yeah, a a lovely story um, where Johnny played the most awful, horrific character. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah. You start Truly with... a terrifying, um, what's the word, impression of mm. a truly terrifying man. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You start the game with a rival, and my rival was not meant to be Johnny as Wilson. <laughs> and yet, almost instantly, all I wanted mm. to do was find a way of having like his chest explode with some kind of <laughs> chest burster. Um, no, it was really fun, actually. Um, I'm a big fan of the franchise, to an extent. Um, <laughs> as, as much as anybody. Especially as they're making another film, apparently. God, beating the dead horse. Um, mm. But uh, I thought it translated that feeling of the original Alien, particularly, which I like very much, um, really well. well. Ridley, stop. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> oh, singers! Took me a while to think of that one. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we'll just edit it backwards to the point where it was funny. Especially with the stress dice, I thought it was really a really great mechanic because mm. it does sort of reflect in that situation you probably would be very stressed. Uh, that's an understatement, and so having those sort of both the benefit of being able to roll more dice. Uh, but the the kind of you know the fear or the threat of them you know having negative effects uh is something that's been in RPGs for a while but um i've not seen it in a tabletop role playing game until this one so yeah i i think most most stress cuz i correct me if i'm wrong but i think it sort of came from that place in the dark school of thought that people have obviously like been using for um for a little while now but i think the 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 way that it works in blades is very sort of mechanical and um is is quite sort of uh what's the word like like there is a, an intrinsic scale for when you start being like mm. trauma yeah and it's like you, that's not really how stress works you don't just sort of like oh that's one more task i'm gonna go <laughs> call it curl up in a ball now it's more sort of like Oh God! I feel the stress at any moment. I don't know when it's when I could snap, and that's very much how Alien feels. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's how that system feels, and I think it works really well with building that atmosphere, um, and like making you feel like vulnerable people who are not actually, you know, meant to be in these situations. Especially mm. as none of us were Marines uh, either. So, um, yes. Very enjoyable. Um, Mr. Whelan, do you have anything, or, or Mr. Jarvis, do you have anything else to say about the Alien RPG, seeing as you also joined in? <laughs> Why is this yeah, so, it is, like... It is one of the two games I played <laughs> this I, week. I think, so. well, yeah, you and I, Wills, are essentially just... We are the same person this week for what we have yeah, played. Yeah, we've got the ex exact same tabletop stuff because we were in the exact same games together, and that's it. Tag um, team, tag team. Yeah, we are. Um, we're a private party from All Elite Wrestling. Um, so this, uh, my favorite tag team. This is um, a really cool system, and I and I'm glad that because um, I I've probably said it about a million times in this podcast already. My favorite thing about learning a new RPG is seeing the cool mechanics they've made not just dumping the same stuff into a, into a different setting. Mm. So the fact that it was very much like, okay, yeah, you know, there's loads of fluff and loads of, like, pretty art of spaceships and aliens and stuff. But also, we have thought about what it means to be a character in an alien film, and, and that's how, you know, that is reflected in the mechanics. There's some other neat little stuff as well around the book. Like, there's... Um, 
like if you're if you're doing group stealth which is obviously a big thing if there's a, a monster alien running around uh instead of everyone rolling individually like you would in D, um the only person who rolls is the person who has the worst stealth stat so you're only you're only as quiet as the worst person in the group, yeah. which is really cool. And it's it also just sort of like alleviates having to do a million rolls. I mean, like, oh, I got a four, I got a two, I got a one, or whatever. That, that um, makes which is really handy. A lot of sense, and I think it sort of mirrors that instance in like the original Alien, for example, and in in Aliens, where people do things, and you're like, why are you doing that? Mm. And you know, in that scenario, you probably do the same stupid thing as well. Um, but I think having like that kind of oh it's the person with the the lowest stealth who who has to mm. do a role I think that definitely echoes that kind of classic thing that happens. It's the person at the back of the group like knocking a bolt off the shelf or mm. it's um it's uh, Loli's going into a vent. it's it's <laughs> it's uh. Uh, Pippin. God, I was going to call him Perry. It's Pippin Perry. in the Lord of the Rings. Merry and Perry. <laughs> Merry and Perry. It's Merry when, and Perry's big day out when they're in Moria and he pushes the um the dwarf skeleton down the well. Yeah. Uh, and then oh, yeah. everything lands on their heads because of that. Which I re- I really like that as an idea. I really liked Alien. I was actually quite impressed with how like relatively slick the rules were. There yeah. wasn't a lot to calculate. And so it kind of kept the tension because it wasn't like, oh, there's something coming at you. Okay, now we need to add up for like what percentage of the shadows you're stood in and, mm. you know, I, how I much you smell. There was, <laughs> there was a um, like a sort of section of the rule book about sort of combat and, and tactical stealth and all that kind of stuff, which was all based on like zones and stuff, which we didn't really get into because, I mean, we were only playing for two hours, so we didn't really have much time. Um, and I, I would worry that that might slow it down mm. a little bit. Um, but yeah, I have I haven't tried it myself, so I couldn't really say. But my my favorite thing about it was like it was another big book RPG, uh, and whilst it didn't really do anything like ridiculously original, it still saw the systems that it was wanting to adopt and went okay. But let's not just shove this in wholesale. Let's actually think about not only how can we improve on it, but how we can improve on it to make it feel more alien. Which mm-hmm. is yeah, let's just let's not just put a another D&D system yeah. over this setting. Please, stop. Please, Ridley, stop. Mian, is that everything? Yeah. Because, speaking of really great RPGs, Wills. Yeah. What so, did we play yesterday? I mean, we might as well just talk to each other on this one, Matt. Because we... <laughs> <laughs> so we, as well as playing Alien, we both played uh, Aegon or Aegon or Aegon. I think or... John was pronouncing it Aegon. Yeah, um, which is... Uh, it's by John Harper, the designer of Blades in the Dark, as previously mentioned for the stress mechanic. Um, and there's a similar thing in this called Pathos or Pathos. Um, but Aegon is all about Greek heroes, like ancient, classical, Greco-Roman myths... Um, people like Odysseus and uh, you know uh, Achilles and and all of those big, larger than life characters. Who... Is a Zeus in it or not? Zeus, Zeus is in it. Yes, he, I can, can confirm he just f's, uh, <laughs> um, which Great. won't make any sense to anyone at home. But that's fine. Yeah. So so the way this game works is, um, and it's very very cool. Uh, so you all create a character, and your character like your title is as much of um, an important stat for you as, like, your actual stats themselves. So instead of having, like, okay, my character has plus four for strength or whatever, 
Um, there are four sort of like theatres of conflict, which are blood and valor, spirit and resolve, um, art and oration, art and oration, and cunning and uh, wits. So one of those, they'll all be d sixes apart from one, which will be a d eight when you start, and you can upgrade those over time. So basically, um, you're making a dice pool every time you do something. So, so let's say that uh, me and Matt are getting into a fight with a big angry snake. So we're like, okay, well, this seems like a blood and valor challenge. So we both pick up our blood and valor dice. But then we also pick up our name dice, because how famous are we? That starts as a d6, but it can upgrade to a d8 and d10, d12. <laughs> Will it be the case that the snake will suddenly stop and go, wait, have I seen you before? It asks for an autograph, and that's when you get it. I autograph it with my knife. <laughs> um, but then uh, you also have an epithet, and you can have multiple of those as you as you um, proceed through the game. So, for example, my character was called Aristides the Lionhearted, um, and I was very good at spirit and resolve. So I was, I was a very brave and stout sort of hero figure. Um, so I collected all of those dice. So I picked up a D6 for Lionhearted whenever I was doing something courageous, and I picked up a D6 for my name because that's just, you know, me as a person, how... how uh, like competent and how uh, famous I am and etc cetera, etc cetera, how much weight my name has and then also I pick up the dice for the the theater of combat we're having if you've got like divine intervention from one of the gods because you've pleased them in the past you can then also add d4s from them so you pick up a big pool of dice and you roll them all at once so instead of having like I do one little roll then one little roll then one little roll we all combine to just do one big roll you either succeed or fail and then you also work out who was the best success? So there's a kind of like man of the match system. So it's like, yeah, okay, we all combined to kill the snake, but you got the killing blow. Or it's like, yeah, we all combined to convince the king uh, to, you know, uh, let your people go or whatever, but you were the one who really twisted his arm and he's the one who's... You won that song the song about it. Yeah, you're the one who um, <laughs> ended up getting uh, let my people go right at the end of the song. You got the finishing line um but that's sort of like how it works but it's also really cool because the way that it sort of teaches you how to play the game is very much like a character stepping up to meet a challenge so it's not just oh okay this sounds like a a strength conflict you know roll these dice it's i am aristides pick up that dice the lion-hearted pick up that dice and my blood and valor blah 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 will pick up that dice so like it's very much like a, it's very ritualistic which is really really cool it's like you you sort of assemble and then like there's there's a lot of uh, tension before the dice roll because we were playing in d20 so we're going through like all of the steps in like these little dialogue boxes uh roll 20 sorry not d20 so it's very much like um okay i've got this dice and i've got this dice and i've got this dice oh i might spend that so i can get that dice on top so you you have like a lot of uh maths of like oh okay well if i do this i'm gonna up my my chances but you do it so uh infrequently that it means you can just sort of like just spend a moment and everyone just go all right let's get a bit meta here how can we how can we get this done um and then the really clever thing about it is you basically go up through the result scores so let's say that the target number we were trying to beat was 10 matt rolled a 9 um me and rolled a 12 and i rolled a 14 so we start with matt who who suffers and he gets to narrate like how he managed to to fuck up or get bested or, or whatever i just swore sorry my bad sorry. Edit that out. <laughs> i'll bleep that let me write down a note one second <laughs> <laughs> what do you think we are, Wills? <laughs> F word. Twenty three minutes. Um, so yeah. So um, and then me and succeeded, but didn't quite uh, succeed in the best way. So she gets to to 
you know, say, oh, you know, maybe Mian puts her shield over her so I can leap over it or something mm. like that. Or uh, Mian manages to, like, wrestle the snake to the ground so that I can strike the killing blow. And then whoever got that final one, so in this case it would be me because I rolled the highest number, I get to narrate, like, the finish and, and, and the big coup de gras moment, which is really, really cool. So, like, you get to sort of... It's very sort of action scenes almost, like... Uh, John Harper said that one of the influences was like Fast and Furious, and there's going to be a hack for that at some point, so you can play Aegon Fast and Furious mode. Um, <laughs> do you ever do you ever die for family or not? You probably, yeah. <laughs> well, you have bonds, so mm. like you can you can spend bonds mm. to get extra dice and stuff. So you can sort of call on a favor or like you know help out a friend or yeah. be helped out by a friend and all that kind of stuff. It's really clever and like. It is one of the most gorgeous PDFs I've I've had the pleasure of flicking through because it's all got that beautiful sort of like um, ancient Greek pottery style art, but all in these like really colourful kind of gradients. Um, and the character sheets are just lovely. They're they're like little um, it's almost like an SAT test where you're just like checking little boxes and stuff. So it's like it's really like intuitive and everything feels really nice. And then you just sort of like okay, that's a dice, that's a dice. I imagine like if you're playing with your character sheet in front of you, you could literally just put the die on top of each thing that you have you could literally just pick them up and then just assemble your roll and put them back when you're done it's really really nice um you only do like you only have to roll about what like like five six seven times per island and the kind of um narrative arc that you have of it is that it's very much like the odyssey you arrive at an island you try and help you see what happens at the end and then you know that that island is lost in the mist you'll never go back there again Mm. so you kind of just like it's almost like a series of one shots it's really cool I thought you were going to say it's like the Odyssey you, you know, sail a ship around and generally be a really horrible person. Well, <laughs> I mean, you can you be, want. yeah. I think there's there's rules for while you're sailing between islands as well, right? Which we didn't necessarily yeah. touch on. But to to jump in, Wills, um, mm-hmm. I think some of the things that I really liked about it, because I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think it's, we were saying this yesterday while we were playing, one of the nice things about it is it's unapologetically kind of larger than life and heroic Mm. whereas like a lot of games now if you play a kind of you know if you play a character that is essentially like a a greek hero um like a demigod style thing it can be quite boring in something like dnd because you're just good at everything whereas here it's okay to be good at everything because it's less about you doing something like whether you pass or fail or more to the degree of how well you do it so like wills was saying that kind of feeling of okay we're all solving this problem but we're all kind of building up to that big push and it does the the slightly competitive element of yeah trying to step in front of the camera and be the person that is the best really well so you're working together but there's just a light kind of slight jostling for like oh no this time it was my time to shine and that bond system where you can you don't necessarily have to participate, but you could help someone else out. And that gives you a bond for the future uh, that you can then spend to then get an extra die, which will then benefit you in the future. So by helping someone else out, you're kind of helping yourself as well. Um, yeah, it's really nice. It's a really like fluid system. And I think my favorite thing about it, like you said, is the fact that um, like I've never rolled a success and be like, ah, oh, damn, because I, yeah, I succeeded, but I didn't quite beat everyone else. Hmm um and we had this like uh i don't want to spoil the rpg but we had like one character who wasn't like it was becoming a running joke that they were kind of screwing up a lot and just sort of like 
uh, taking the back seat. But they had a real arc at the end because they ended to get they ended up getting that like that big moment where they got the best success, and it felt like you know oh wow they're really stepping up and like all that kind of stuff and um, like the the best thing about that system is the fact that um, it's not just like it, it it's not just like a sort of oh this is how it feels to play but you know in the, in the story that doesn't really come into it like it is really important for these characters to be the the person in the spotlight because you're heroes like you want myths to be written about you um so like when you finish a character's story like whether they die or they get back home or, or whatever um the way that the the sort of like character's story comes to an end you add up the dice that you managed to level up so like how how big a, a dice roll was their name by the end of the thing uh and how much glory did they earn and all that kind of stuff and you you work out how well they are remembered and like how how people will see them in history now that their story has come to an end um and if you if one of your characters manages to die like throughout the story you have in the downtime like you you remember them and you you talk about the great deeds that they all did and you have like this almost like funeral pyre moment and it's it's really cool like oh. you do you do feel i think oftentimes you play a game like D, you don't feel like a, a folk hero you feel like a sort of a bumbling idiot most of the time because like it you know the system is kind of designed around failure whereas um with this like you you are a unit like you move around as a, as a cohesive unit so as long as one of you succeeds you all succeed oh. but it's like how it happened throughout and like you know sure i failed but that you know that's just character development like i oh god i, I took a hit to the leg that's gonna come back to bite me in the long run but as a unit we succeeded or like when we went to this island i kept getting that you know that best role for whatever reason so i look like an absolute god among these people and like there's systems where you'll get like trophies from things that you've done uh because i I read through the book before we played um i was really excited to try it out and obviously this stuff didn't come up as much because we were just doing a one shot but like stay say that we you know finished that adventure that we did matt and we got some kind of like brass you know mechanical trophy we can bring that up later in our campaign and say hey i mean look i'm the guy who did this remember that (laughs) and people will be like whoa okay um as long as it's relevant but you can only use it once because if you keep being like yeah i'm the guy who did this everyone's like yeah yeah we've heard that one before Mm. like it's really really like it it's as you said it's unapologetically about being a hero and i think like because games like this like dnd and all that kind of stuff have come from that sort of uh, position it's now become almost like cliche to be like a really goody two-shoes character and especially in this group i think we tend to play more like either weird or actually kind of like bad characters you know like anti-heroes all that kind of stuff whereas in this game like i felt compelled to just be like no i'm a really good guy like Mm. i go around i really want to help people and it's like it was nice to just be a hero for once. Yeah, and that doesn't mean there's no depth there as well because you kind of mm. have to... So to quickly, before we move on to the news, um, like the thing that I don't think we've mentioned so far is you you kind of describe what you do after you see the result of the yeah. role. So it's like, here's a thing that's happening, everybody roll. And that kind of sets up the order in which you resolve things from lowest to highest. But it also sets up... Like, you don't have to say, oh, I'm running at them, I'm about to swing my sword, and then roll to see if you hit them with your sword. It's just like, here's the general premise of, like, the scene set up. Roll to see how you do, and then depending on whether you used your epithet, which is your title, um, if you called upon a certain god, what, whatever it may be, you then describe once you know your result. So it's not like, I tried to swing and I miss. If you fail a roll, you can kind of describe that maybe you just, you know, 
you didn't even try to swing you just mm. something else happened or if you really succeeded you know how does that then tie into how into using your epithet so you know if you use the lion-hearted die because you used your epithet how does that come into what you did if you called upon yeah. zeus how does that help you know which i think was <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> it did in our case it, yeah yeah oh okay yeah, but it's, it is really cool though because it is like um it stops you feeling like an idiot like you do in D&D sometimes like I'm, I'm picking on D&D like th- this is as I often do uh this this is like a thing that happens in a lot of RPGs where it's like because you as Matt said because you ask what you're doing and then roll in a lot of campaigns it's like I want to jump over the gap and it's like well you didn't roll that so here's what actually happens you face palm or yeah. whatever so it very much feels like I really want to do this cool thing but I keep screwing up That's and you keep a- having that Whereas in Aegon, it is more like, okay, well, here's the result you're going to get. So how does that factor in? And you can see the picture of like, okay, yeah, I succeeded, but I'm like halfway through. So I can't do anything too spectacular because then it will draw the limelight away from the big champ. Mm. So it's almost like you've got like a sort of script and you, ha- you have the building blocks. And then you're like, you know, instead of instead of saying, like I said with that shield thing, right? If Mian wants to like hoist her shield over her shoulder so that someone can use it as a platform to jump up and do a big leaping attack... Uh, if you screwed that up, that also screws up the rest of the stuff for everyone else. Whereas, like, if you know that's going to happen, then you can be like, oh, I might do this because I know that the person who's going to get the killing blow is coming right after me. So I'll do that so that I can make them look really good and also, like, fit into the story. And it's really, really nice. It means that you actually have a lot more agency over, like, how the story plays out without it being, like, we're all the GM kind of thing, mm. you know? Like, it's still GM'd but everyone gets to to really feel like they have a lot of control over how the story pans out, I think, which is really nice. I think that's really interesting when you think about the themes of Greek mythology and oral storytelling, because, like, Mm. Greek mythology is all about oral storytelling. I sort of Mm -hmm. spoke a little bit about this in the Theros, um, the Mythic Odyssey, the Theros D&D source book, because it kind of touches on this as well. But I think... It sounds like Aegon does an even better job because you're telling your own story, mm. which in many ways is more connected to uh, the history of oral storytelling. Um, I would like to um, know whether characters have like things like tragic flaws and things like that, because the the term hero when it comes to like Greek mythology, as I'm sure Mr. Jarvis knows as an enthusiast of of Greek mythology, isn't really used to describe someone who's particularly moral. It's more like a term that's used to describe someone who who has done great things, whether they're they're good or bad. Like they're just it's just a, someone who's who's made myth mm-hmm. and history. So I think it would be interesting to know whether those kind of characters can also exist. Oh absolutely, oh. yeah, yeah. Like whilst whilst we did feel compelled to be heroic, I think like you can still because your epithet is completely up to you. So my epithet could have been lion-hearted, but it also could have been you know the bloodthirsty, right? Or, yeah. or it could have been like the tyrant. Or yeah, something like mine that. wasn't I in mean... the book. I just made mine up. It was like yeah. okay, I I kind of have as long as I can justify it when I do a certain action. Yeah, you can use whatever you want. So you could have that as a tragic flaw where it could be you know yeah. the two-faced or whatever it may be. Yeah, because um, like heroes aren't don't tend to be like deliberately evil they just tend to have traits that cause them to make mistakes or Mm. you know do bad deeds 
yeah. or they're just involved with some sort of god who just threatens them to do it anyway. So. Yeah. Well, so so one thing you might really like me in is like you know I was talking about how you know the how people remember you bit after your your character's finished. Mm. Um, you also look at the sort of the four um, areas of conflict that you've been leveling up, and based on like the one or two that you um, either use the most. Because you basically after um, after each island, you do some downtime where everyone says how they felt the other characters did. Mm-hmm. Like, so you might say, "Oh, I I thought that um, Matt was really cunning on this island, or something like that." So it'll be like, "Yeah, I, I I'm going to give them some points in 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 that." So you look at the four that you got the most uh, and sort of tie it in with the. Um, I think I'm saying this right. Please do correct me in the comments if not but you you tie it in with the um you know the blood and valor or arts and oration or whatever one that you use the most and got the highest dice in and it gives you a sort of like title that you can work around of like here's how people actually remember you so it's like yeah if you if you said that you're really heroic and like you go around saving people but actually like everyone said that you were really bloodthirsty and you kept doing um really warlike actions then people might remember you as like the tyrant you know or like you know the the warmonger or something like that even though you, you as a hero, you wanted to be portrayed like that because you acted in a certain way because you had those flaws as a character. That's how people will remember you. Like they will look back and be like, "No, this guy was like, you know, you didn't want to be in a room with him because you never know when a fight's going to break out or something like that." So it, it very much has that sort of thing of like, yeah, you you can be just as a as just as much of a tragic hero as you can be a um, like a, an actual like heroic person. You mm-hmm. know? Shall yeah, it's very very cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Shall we go barreling into news? Oh, of course we can, Matt Jarvis. But before we get there, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Reserve your copy of My Journey to Catan, a new memoir by Catan designer Klaus Teuber, where he shares his journey from dental technician to world famous game designer. This book is being published for the first time in English as a very limited edition. Each hardback leveret bound book is individually numbered and hand signed by Klaus Teuber himself. If you have a games fan in your life, or just someone who loves stories about people who strive to follow their dreams, you could not find a better gift. Pre-order your signed and numbered copy of My Journey to Catan at catanshop.com forward slash book. Only 1,000 copies will be printed of this special edition, so get your order in early. We'll whiz through some headlines here, because there's quite a lot coming out. So, I think the maybe the biggest one of this week, at least maybe the, the biggest or best known name, is uh, there's a new Magic the Gathering set. And if that wasn't a name you already know, it's based on Dungeons and Dragons. Whoa! Uh, so I've never heard of it before, Magic <laughs> Somehow, this is the first ever full set of Magic the Gathering yeah. uh, to be based on Dungeons and Dragons. I always, I might be getting this wrong. I'm sure someone in the comments will let me know. Um, but I always felt, or I always thought that um, Magic the Gathering was loosely based on D and D. Anyway, I believe it kind of span out of D and D initially well, yeah, there's there's setting books for D that are based on yes yeah. like like yeah. theros right yeah so like, yeah that's an yeah, important there's... thing to note here is it's not the first time they've crossed over it's just the first time they've crossed over this direction where D yeah. is coming it's the to first magic. time they've slapped a logo on it right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's called adventures in the forgotten realms so as the name suggests it is set in the forgotten realms of D, which in itself is a weird thing because then does that mean that the forgotten realms is a plane of magic the gathering and therefore part of the Magic the Gathering multiverse, and therefore everything that happens in D&D is also happening in Magic. Matt Jarvis, you're boggling me. You're boggling my brain. Well, I can't 
deal with it. Hopefully this won't boggle you. It will be it will be a full set. It will release next summer, so they've announced it plenty early. Um, and it's actually replacing next year's core set, which is kind of the um, for those who aren't big into magic, is kind of the I guess what would stand in for like the base game nowadays. So it's like mm-hmm. a big set they put out. It's not necessarily themed around a very specific theme or a very specific gameplay thing. It's just kind of a a foundation to then release sets on top of after that. Um, so we just saw the release of Corset 2021 this year, but replacing Corset 2022 will be um, oh, Adventures wait, wait, in the Forgotten wait, wait, wait. Realms. So, so 2021 was released this year. It's like FIFA. It's like it's always ah, a year ahead because otherwise it's you. already outdated. So yeah, um, suppose, it's yeah. a standard set, so you can use it. It will be tournament legal, uh, and apparently it will feature new gameplay mechanics. Um, oh no, sorry, I'm. I will clarify here. They haven't uh, announced any gameplay mechanics it may feature specifically. Um, but Zendikar Rising, which is the next Magic the Gathering set out this year, um, features a new mechanic called the party system, which does wow. draw from D&D's class system. Um, so okay. essentially, <laughs> certain cards can have certain classes. Uh, I will find out what they're called. I think it's Wizard, Fighter. It's It's four kind of core classes that I now can't find anywhere. Cleric, Rogue, Warrior, Wizard. So, and if you have different characters or all four classes together, you will gain different benefits because they will form a party and grant you things in the game. So presumably you would think that will be part of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms because otherwise what are they doing? Yeah. You know, they've they've no. they've explicitly said Zendikar Rising's party mechanic is inspired by D&D, so if they don't then put it in the <laughs> D&D set... It will just, you'll open it up and the entire set will just be, um, uh, what are they called? The shrubs. The, the... Oh, um, God. Awakened shrubs. Awakened shrubs, yeah. All of them are awakened shrubs. All of them. <laughs> I opened up my barn, it was wall to wall awakened shrubs in there. <laughs> <laughs> They've gotten in again. <laughs> oh, bloody awakened shrubs have gotten in the pen again. Uh, they also announced. Uh, because I, I'm going to be the one to steer this good ship back on course as we bow for the news. Um, they've announced the other sets coming out next year. So there's Coldheim, which is a new Viking-inspired uh, realm. Uh, there is Strixhaven School of Mages, which is a magical university featuring five colleges with differing powers. Oh, um, I wonder what that's based on. Yeah, so they're both out in spring. And then there are two sets, both set in Innistrad, um, so Innistrad Werewolves and Innistrad uh, Vampires, which will both be out around the autumn time. Oh, spooks! Um, so as well as that, there is a Time Spiral remastered. So that's remastered version of Time Spiral, which is a set from about two thousand six, um, which I think time is pretty split popular. Remastered. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Get your video games out of here. Um, and then Modern Horizons two. So they're kind of following up on two of the most popular sets um, of the last ten years or so. So yeah, they've. This is Wizards of the Coast, of course. They've laid out kind of what's coming. Uh, they also, as a as a little uh, kicker on the end of this, they've said that Magic the Gathering um, Arena will be arriving on mobile soon. Uh, that's what they've said, is soon. Um, but they've said it will be before the end of the year, so presumably that will be in the next couple of months because there's not much yeah. of this year left, thank Whoa. God. Whoa, thank God. God. Yes. <laughs> Uh, as a little fun one, or I say fun, as one of those things where you go, huh? Uh, WizKids, uh, the board game publisher, which also makes miniatures for the likes of D&D and Magic, uh, 
Alex, me and you wrote this story, so actually you you lead this because yeah, I'm the expert on this. <laughs> um, <there's> a <laughs> so yeah, Wiz Kids are making uh, a statue of Chandra Nala. Mm-hmm. Please don't you know say anything about my pronunciation that I don't really know, but she sounds like an interesting enough character uh, from uh, Magic: The Gathering. Uh, is being made into a statue uh, that is approximately. I'm trying to remember, see. Uh, it weighs 21 kilograms, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's like five foot six. Yeah. What? It's it's <laughs> quote life size. So it's yeah, and it is it's it's a cool grand, right? Or it's over a grand. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh one thousand two hundred dollars, so probably around about yeah probably around a, a grand. Uh, I assume we're getting one cent to the office, right, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, yeah. I mean, so as far as I know, we're not. If you're into magic, I guess there's a there's something to spend a thousand pounds or one thousand two hundred dollars on. <laughs> if I mean, yeah. w- when you consider that magic has individual cards that go for like uh, points, tens say... of thousands. Mm. That seems more like it's worth a thousand pounds than like a card from 1982 is. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, Wills, Magic the Gathering was launched in 1993, uh, so there um, wouldn't be such thing as a card from 1982. Uh, thank you, comments. I, if there was, then it would definitely be worth a lot of money. Man. <laughs> <laughs> when I was making, when I was making, when I was writing the story, I was talking to my flatmate, and I was like, "It's taller than you." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Ch- Chandra, though is popular as far as i know i mean i don't think any of us are You'd like hope, massively right? <laughs> massively deep into the lore of magic um i'm surprised I mean, it's not of... something like um nicole bolas the big dragon but if they make a life-size version of that i guess that's probably going to be more <laughs> and bigger. they made a life say life-size model of a character that you could buy and everyone just went who's that then they've definitely <laughs> screwed up <laughs> well I've, I've definitely heard of her before writing this news piece mm. and i don't play magic and i know not a lot about the law so yeah popular yeah. planeswalkers it's chandra it's jace it's others others all right moving on uh the next story <laughs> we've got is oh gosh the state of the comments um the next story we've got alex Meehan, tell us about the seventh citadel Ooh. um the seventh citadel is a spiritual successor to the seventh continent which is an adventure game uh, that people seem to like very much. I've not played it. Um, but you... Yeah, it's like got survival elements and choose-your-own-adventure stuff. Uh, and it's very kind of narrative-driven. So The Seventh Citadel, which is, again, not a direct sequel, is set in a very different uh, kind of setting, which is like a medieval, magical apocalyptic land uh, where there are evil trees <gasps> and giant worms. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And it's like evil trees versus giant worms. Who will win? <laughs> Wait, which side do you take? <laughs> Apparently you're on the evil tree side. Whoever wins, <laughs> we lose. <laughs> I've won. Welcome our giant worm overlords. <laughs> You, you have to, so you start off tending to these evil trees uh, because you've been told to. And then 
you, like, you're like, this is a really horrible life. I want to escape. And should we stop watering? Yeah. Should we stop watering the evil trees? No, 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 no. Keep on it. No, Ooh. no. They'll event. They'll would, grow out of the evil. Would evilness. you rather water the giant worms? <laughs> <laughs> the trees are worms for you. Do <laughs> <laughs> <Two> maggot boonies. <laughs> um, yeah, it's coming to Kickstarter on September the twenty second. Um, the seventh citadel and um yeah people seem to be excited for it so keep an eye out for that um i believe there'll be some more information on the game released sort of running up to that um and then presumably on the kickstarter description but yes there you go there we go worms versus trees the game i for the record i like seventh uh continent it is mm. it's very much in the vein i think they call it choose your own path because choose your own adventure is trademarked Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are very <laughs> diligent about protecting that trademark. Uh, the folks that make Choose Your Own Adventure. Yep. Um, if you'll know, if you ever write a story with the phrase Choose Your Own Adventure as a descriptor. Um, so yeah, Seventh Continent was like, you you explore little square tiles and then you discover things and it had puzzles. And I think you could play as like HP Lovecraft and um, uh, Phileas Fogg and things like that. There were There were real live individuals from like the Victorian age. Um, I think HP Lovecraft. Yeah. I want to say like Mary Shelley's in there as well. Oh, yeah. It's like a I'll really take Mary it's like a who's much. who of kind of late Victorian. She was great. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a really cool game. It's a really great solo game as well. If anyone is looking for a good solo game at the moment, um, yes. So yeah, it's it's cool. I'm interested about Seventh Citadel. Uh, yeah, the artwork's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, there was some. I like some of it, and other bits I'm like. Mm. That was exactly yeah. half about Seventh Continent. Yeah. So, <laughs> the, I scrolled. I just scrolled through the article, yeah. and the, 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 the big tree counts. thing was cool, but then yeah. the, the faces were. Mm. Yeah, you know which bit I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, anyway, uh, let's roll on uh, because we're short on time. Let's roll on to this next story, which is a very quick one. Uh, there's a tabletop RPG currently on Kickstarter called Dot Dungeon, spelt. Yeah. Full stop or period if you're American. Uh, dungeon, like a file name. Uh, it's it seems very cool. Um, it is a little indie. <laughs> period RPG. dungeon, of course, being. Uh... <laughs> oh, Wales. God, Wales. No, no, no. Hold on. Period dungeon being the Pride and Prejudice D and D remake. Thank okay. You very much. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure which way you were going to go. No, let's steer away from that. Uh, so dot dungeon, <laughs> as it's known, which is probably why they called it dot dungeon. Um, it's inspired by kind of massively multiplayer online games like World of Warcraft um, and also Isekai, um, the genre of anime and manga that includes things like Digimon. So essentially about going to a different world. And in this case, that world is the internet. Uh, so yeah, it's it, a, it very much reminds me of Hack. Do you remember that anime? Slash uh, Hack slash. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching that as a teen with some friends. Uh, I don't think it was good, but I do remember it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's. I think the thing here is it's it's interesting. So it the concept of the game is that it's not about fighting things. It's more about connecting with other people online. So it's kind of it. They describe it as kind of a love letter to making friends online. You know, connecting with other people that maybe you've never met in person. Um, so instead of health individual for individual characters, you have a kind of shared pool of connection. Um, mm. And that can go up through actions such as sharing art that you've made or kind of writing memes. poetry or memes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably, right? It's kind of the equivalent of that. Of like, oh, I like mm. that thing and you do too. 
And yeah, here I we don't are make on the internet. Art. I just find, I just yeah. find it. I just put Sean Bean's people. face on. Who did everything. this? <laughs> um, and but having said that, so there's, it says that it's not combat focused, but the the gameplay system involves having opposition to everything or everything opposing you. So when you roll, you roll off against something else that's opposing you. And that can be anything. So it could be like an individual person or it could be, you know, a group of people or it could be the weather if you're outside and finding yourself in inclement weather or kind of having to go against the terrain, something like that. So th- it it will have a die between a D4 and a D20 and you, you will have a stat with a die between a D4 and a D20 and you will roll your respective dies and the highest number wins. Um, so that's how Tessa resolved is like a straight roll off. But it's it's a kind of interesting system, you know, something a bit different as we were saying before to the usual kind of, I guess D and D mold that a lot of games can fall into, although less so mm-hmm. indie RPGs like this. So yeah, it seems really cool. Um, but we will move on quickly. But that's currently live on Kickstarter and will be till October the fourth. If you're interested in checking it out, uh, I think there's a free playtest version as well. Yeah. Uh, let's roll on. Uh, Alex Meehan, this is a quick short one. What's happening with Wingspan? Oh, so Wingspan, the digital version, has had a long and sordid history uh, this year uh, because it was announced early this year uh, as coming out on PC and on Nintendo Switch uh, in spring of this year. And then sort of nothing happened. Uh, and then just uh, recently, a another tre- teaser trailer was released for the PC version, and it's been announced that it's coming out on September the seventeenth, I believe, uh, which is next week. Um, the Nintendo Switch version. Uh, I don't. That was have a big a- yeah for the listeners at home. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a hoot. Of when it might come out. Because it's birds, I get it. Yeah, you get yeah. it. Yeah, then, then you give hoots. <laughs> <laughs> well, wing, yeah, just in case you, you didn't uh, know, Wingspan is a game about birds. Um, and you you attract the birds into your habitats and so you can get more birds because apparently all you want is birds. <laughs> just Why wouldn't you, right? <laughs> it should just be called All You Want Is Birds. All you need is birds. Yeah. But yeah, that's what's going on with Wingspan Digital. So you can expect it on the Steam Store uh, on September 17th. Cool. All you you PC people out there. I thought you were going to make some kind of bird, like the, Boomer the cat lady. Um, <laughs> cool cats and kittens, but instead it's real uh, birds and whatever. All you cool kestrels. Oh, cool yeah. kestrels. I really like puffins. <laughs> Good. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, that's a least popular bit to get than penguins. Can you imagine? I don't know. Maybe eating a penguin when it was. Anyway, You've would both you selected birds that are uh, book brands? Yeah. So. Yeah, toucans are pretty great as well. Toucans. Yeah. <laughs> the Paragon Blade is a head-to-head fantasy RPG. It sure RPG is, just two Wills. people from Trail of Cthulhu Maker. It sure is, as you read this next headline. Yes, <laughs> so there is a new game. This is another short one because there's not lots of detail on it, um, but Pelgrane Press, um, known for RPGs such as Trail of Cthulhu, The Yellow King, and Cthulhu Confidential, 
uh, which all happen to be Lovecraft and horror RPGs, although they do make a few things also. Um, they've kind of teased a new upcoming RPG, and the interesting thing about this is it's for two people, uh, and two people only. So it's based on a version of the gumshoe system, uh, which if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you would have heard Wills and I particularly praise, uh, which is very investigation-focused, so it powers a lot of kind of detective mm. games. Mm. Um, and Bradley. gumshoe one two one um is is kind of a spin-off where one person is the GM, one person is a player, and it's almost competitive. Um, so you are kind of working against each other, the GM trying to control the forces of like evil or badness, mm. whatever it may be, um, and then the player obviously trying to solve various mysteries and make their way through. So the Paragon Blade is described as being a, a fantasy game um, that is kind of... They just say it's it's set in a fantasy land, the player will be questing across it, um, and it's meant to really be kind of embedded in classic fantasy. Um, so swords and sorcery is what they describe it as, but then including elements of mystery because of the gumshoe engine as well. Because we haven't got enough of that, Matt Jarvis. Well, swords will, and that's, sorcery. That's fair, but I will say that um, two-player RPGs is a really, really freaking cool space that I actually am really excited to see more stuff in. Hmm. Um, because I've I've actually had some of my favourite RPG memories of just like me and one person playing, like GMing for just one person is actually really cool, and especially because like. If most stories that you read will have one protagonist, right? Like that's that's the kind of story that most people are used to telling, mm. uh, which I think actually it makes it really really fun to play. So that's quite cool, actually. I'm quite I'm like quite keen to try that out. Yeah. Um. So as I say, it's, it's built on Gumshoe One to One, which has been used in Cthulhu Confidential and Knights Black Agent Solo Ops, um, which is kind of like a spin-off from the vampire spy thriller RPG. Uh, so it's a new version of that engine. Um. But both of those games are also two-player. Um, if you're looking for two-player RPGs to check out. Um, but that's kind of all they've said at the moment. They put up a an alpha, I believe, um, a playtest version, uh, which you can sign up for until the end of October and include some kind of pre-made heroes and some pre-made quests. Um, but as far as they've indicated, the full game will let you make your own heroes and quests. But they haven't given it a release date, and who knows when it'll be out. Uh, but if you're interested in checking it out, you can maybe get an early look if you go and sign up. So there we go. Uh, let's finish off the news section with this monstrosity from <laughs> Alex Meehan. Tell us about Captain Wondercake. That's not a very nice thing to say about Alex Meehan. <laughs> I've been called worse, so don't worry. No, the monstrosity does not refer to me, dear viewer and listener. It refers to Captain Wondercape. Um, a board game? Of <laughs> question mark. <laughs> um, where where one player uh, has to play as the Captain Wonder Cape, uh, or or helping Captain Wonder Cape, I guess, uh, because apparently this hamster uh, superhero has accidentally gotten themselves caught in a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> Uh, and you've got to help them carry on with their life, I guess, by rolling out the toilet paper as long as you can without it ripping. Whilst uh, other players uh, assume the role of the the devious Professor P, who attempts to um, sabotage the toilet paper by flinging miniature poos at it. Mm-hmm. And that is the game. 
That is the game. It it, it it also comes with what looks like a turkey baster. <laughs> yeah, it comes with a pipette, which I don't understand because that is far too large for those plastic poos. It's for, so I it's don't... for the pee. It's for the pee. Oh, is it for peeing on the paper? If you make I the paper know. wet, it might tear. Cannot confirm, I I... by the way, if it is for the pee, but <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just theorizing at the moment. And it looks like, at least from the images they've released, it looks like it's played with an actual roll of toilet paper. Wait, sorry, this is created by Uwe Rosenberg? No. What? No, Where are you getting that from? Oh my god. I just scanned the article. I saw the, I saw the words created by Uwe Rosenberg. I was like, what? No, Uwe Rosenberg made a different game from this publisher, uh, which okay. is Hutch. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry, he's not gone down the toilet. The toilet paper room. They they really lean on the the whole WC pun though, um, because the creators are Carlo Emanuel Lavanchtasia and Walter Alba, and they kind of highlight their respective initials, which are W and C. Obviously, it's called Captain Wonder Cape, and they highlight the W and C in Wonder Cape. Um, Yeah, and then toilet Matt Jarvis. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's (laughs) what that's what they've got here. Yeah, it's a. Hamster uh, flying around with a toilet paper cape, and there's there's a person trying to throw poos on it. I uh... I don't know what <laughs> more I can say to to explain this to you, Matt Jarvis. So, because there's not a lot more to say about this particular game, uh, a couple a couple of years ago at Essen Spiel, um, there was the kind of the opening uh, ceremony meeting thing for press. Um, and during that press conference, there were pro- there were at least two or three different games about poo, um, which were all highlighted and shown on stage. Uh, one of which was Flushing Frenzy, uh, which is extremely bizarre and involves flushing a toilet until a poo flies out of the top and you have to catch it before it hits the floor. Because obviously you wouldn't want to pick poo up off the floor. That's disgusting. No, uh, no, you want to get it fresh out of the toilet. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's to stop the poo because you can wash your hands, right? It's to stop the poo hitting the floor because then that, then you have to wash a car. Yeah, what's that? Like what's a... that? Once that poo escapes at the toilet, yeah. then you've got trouble. It's worth saying that this is this is a children's game, uh, Flushing Frenzy. Um, so all of the kind of promo images for it are a load of very like joyful children holding their hands out to catch a flying turd. <laughs> <laughs> It's no, no. I, if you've not seen it before, I would recommend looking it up because every time I see it, it makes me laugh <laughs> by how ridiculous it is. The um, thing is, I understand that game so much more than this Captain Wondercape game because that's you've basically got... Papa Pirate, right? No, yeah, but also you like at pirate. least the only concepts you have to understand are it's a toilet and there's a poo coming out. Sure, that's not the most conventional thing, but oh here God. you've got to understand the convention of, sorry, the concept of a, a superhero hamster <laughs> who has a toilet paper cape and there's someone throwing, throwing poos on it. Like, this is... <laughs> the lore, I see what you're saying, the sorry, lore is just... much deeper in Captain Wonder Cape than... Yeah, I've just Googled Flush and Frenzy and I'm seeing... Not only did they go for a really textured poo, which is uh, <laughs> an interesting choice, but I've just seen, Matt, that there's a sequel Oh, is that Flush and Frenzy Overflow, oh, three no. times the poop for three times the fun. Uh, uh, <laughs> that sounds like something I would make mm. up. His <laughs> German name as well is Kaka Alarm, which is... <laughs> 
which is a really fantastic name. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was one of the Pooh games. Mm. I think the other one was Don't Step On It, Don't Step In It, uh, which won an award a couple of years ago for like most innovative game. And yeah. the game is there is a large plastic sheet, almost like a slip and slide. Um, oh, and God. there are squishy plastic poos on it. And I think someone is blindfolded and has to walk from one end of the mat to the other without stepping on any poos. And I think that's the game. And it won, uh, it was at some toy fair somewhere. Uh, it won most Im- innovative game, I think, of 2018 or something like that. Re- recent, you know, the same kind of years that things like Gloomhaven and Wingspan and whatnot were being released. It was In- a lot more technologically innovative than than Gloomhaven. True. How many poos in Gloomhaven? Zero poos. (laughs) Yeah, I'm seeing no poos here. But the thing is, I can make that game better. You replace the plastic poos with slugs you found in the garden. Oh, that's... No, that's mean on the slugs. Yeah, but but then you've actually got stakes, because you really don't want to step on one of them. Because I've stepped on a slug with socks on before, and it was a really horrible experience. God. (laughs) So yeah, that's. I imagine uh, that's a pretty similar experience to stepping on a poo with socks on. To be fair. Uh, <laughs> Same. <laughs> when, you, when you've got cats, things like that just happen. <laughs> so that's the poo game, uh, Captain Wonder Cape, uh, which I think is coming out. Right? It's not. It's not out now. <laughs> it's coming out of the toilet. Um. Uh, this year. It doesn't have a set release date yet. Um, Wonderful. I don't know how how many pounds you have to shell out for this, but... Oh, God. Right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Shall we answer some emails, none of which are thankfully about any kind of defecation? Well, I mean, they might not be in the question. I'm sure we'll we'll get it around there. Uh, uh, Wills, would you like to read this one from Patrick Rose, please, on Twitter? Of course. Patrick Rose, also known as uh, at Drug Crazed, asks, uh, what mechanic do you think is underused in tabletop gaming? I cut you choose is mine. I can only think of Shitenu as a game that's used it. What mechanic? Oh, God. Um, uh, flying poo. Not flying eligible poo, for this category. <laughs> I think, Why is um... that so funny? <laughs> there are a couple of games of I cut you choose, I think. Um, what was the... Is it a piece of cake? And New York Slice, New York yeah. Slice, which I think yeah. are the same it's game but with different. I don't know if that's any good. But... Uh, different yeah. food items, or essentially. Um, oh god, I can tell you what's overused. I think there is too many. There are too many deck building games nowadays, um, and not with a whole lot of innovation coming out of any of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know about underutilized. I, I, to be honest, I'm I'm always more keen to see new mechanics than I am to see ones that I like to be brought back. If you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, but unless anyone's got anything they want to jump in with, I'm I'm struggling. I'm drawing a blank here. So it's not. I guess it's not like a shared mechanic as such. But I, I really like games that have some kind of like physical, almost like dexterity element. So there was a game called I think Coaster Park, uh, by Pandasaurus. Um, and unfortunately, it wasn't a great game, and its its main failing was the the dexterity uh, the dexterity aspect. So it was a game. I hope I'm getting that name right. Where you build a you build a literal roller coaster um, by adding parts to it, and then at the end you have to push a marble down the roller coaster and see if it makes it successfully all the way along. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool in concept and just didn't work in yeah. in execution because 
the pieces didn't fit together quite right. So the marble could mm. just come spinning off because they weren't quite, you know, tight enough together to form a like a uh, single track. But it was such a it's such an interesting idea and such a neat kind of like physical aspect on top of a, uh, you know, because you could you could do that as cards. You could be like, okay, here's I've built a roller coaster. It's six cards in a row and they show different parts of track. But the idea of actually having to think about like an actual physical aspect of like, yeah, okay, I need to think about if this does a loop, yeah. it needs enough momentum. So I can't yeah. immediately put you a hill afterwards. It's a really good idea and I wish it had worked out, but I'd like to see more games like that, that just try something interesting and like very inherently, I guess, like, you know, physical, because that's what mm. the tabletop is kind of all about. I love dexterity games. So yeah, more, more dexterity is, is well up my alley. I think a lot of dexterity games relying on flicking. Um, and there's there's way more uh, op- like options for that. Like um, there's one called Flip Chips that I like, which is like tiddlywinks, where you're sort of like you're kind of like doing that action to like send an arc over and land on. It's basically Space Invaders, um, or the you know like things about like like maybe like balancing things yeah. on your hand, all that I kind of stuff. Like there's like there's lo- yeah there's loads of different options. Um, and to be honest, they should probably look at like these kids games. Maybe not the the ones where you have to. <laughs> catch a flying poo but like there are there are like a lot of interesting sort of um... i think the title of this episode should be called catch the flying poo <laughs> 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 um uh, um. you've played tokyo highway right Matt Joel? uh tokyo highway yeah i've yeah, played it very briefly like, so worse might be better placed that coaster game makes me think of tokyo highway because tokyo highway is a little bit like that in the fact that you have to build something to make sure that you can balance you know the cars on top of it um i really i really like games like that like junk car mm. is such a great yeah. game mm. and i really want my own copy so i can play it um that and team free is really great yeah i would love to see more games that take advantage of the physicalness of board games where like everything isn't just represented by tokens or cards and like obviously that's fine like i'm not entirely against the whole concept of that it's just i think yeah i would like to see more games that that think about using objects in a really interesting way yeah it's the funny thing right it's like there are so many games now with miniatures in so every game has so much plastic in it but it's never used for anything more than cardboard tokens could do yeah or or painting and and then you can move it around yeah like whereas i find the the stuff in yeah in like a game like junk art much more interesting because they're just colored blocks they're nothing incredibly detailed but what you can do with them is so much more engaging mm-hmm. but yeah thank you for your question uh patrick uh me and would you like to read this one from at beaker 7771 oh at beaker 771 says Hello to all at Dicebreaker. I love your channel and enjoy the chemistry on the podcast. I'm a huge Dragonlance fan, having read many of the novels. It was these novels that sparked my interest in D&D and RPGs in general. I was amused to learn that it was originally a campaign setting created because D&D needed more dragons in their Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Uh, Do any of you have a similar experience... Um, supplemental material leading to playing a game setting uh, are there any setting games that produce really good supplemental material thanks keep up all the good work I yeah I literally um, 
just as Aegon came into my life and I was reading about it, I was also happening to be like in the middle of a game of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So I was like well up for Greek stuff at that point. I, so that, that really got me keen to, to try it out. I almost called my character Cassandra just because I love Cassandra <laughs> so much. Cassandra's great. I think I've never I've read a tiny bit of some of the Magic the Gathering novels um, in terms of games producing supplemental material but it just maybe because I don't as as proved earlier don't really have any knowledge or investment in the lore um, and just kind of find like a lot of those kind of tie-in novels a bit you know they're not written to be to be uh, they're basically written where if you're already invested in that world, you know, it's a fun kind of romp through it. But I think coming in cold is a really hard thing to do. Um, going the other way, though, I think there have been, there have obviously been aspects where, I guess licensed games don't really count, but I've certainly picked up certain games and maybe even enjoyed them more because I had investment in those worlds. Mm. Um, gosh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I've ever read like a spin-off from a game and then got into the game itself i'm I'm kind of intrigued to check out the arkham um horror novels that are coming up because mm. um as modi uh, or aconite or fancy fly or that group uh they're putting out a lot of kind of adaptations of their various games at this point like arkham horror has got some books i know that android has had some in the past they've got a keyforged collection coming up or novel mm-hmm. um i think twilight imperium is getting a book somewhere so it's always but they're always more of a curiosity i think it's never like yeah. i've been like got to the end of the game I'm like i need to read more about this world um i do think i guess with twilight imperium like i do uh usually when i hear people talk about it they they do really love like the factions like oh the lion people are amazing the turtle people are amazing, blah, 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 blah. so i feel like maybe there is like a sort of a quite niche market but like a there is a small market for people who are like more interested in that setting hmm um and keyforge is quite it's quite a cool universe so i could i could see people maybe being invested enough to read yeah. on that i mean but you know, i do think that, sorry carry me sorry i was gonna say i remember when i heard about um the trail at Baldur's gate and mm. i was like oh this is really interesting because i i'd known about Baldur's gate and i was interested in in it like i'd never actually played any of the games themselves because uh i um a little bit uh, wary about going back to old older PC games simply because I find it hard to draw, like gel with them um, sometimes um, but like I was surprised about how good it is like I'm not a Baldur's Gate fan so I wouldn't be able to tell you how good it translates the world but it's surprising that a crossover that's so odd um you know, Betrayal at House on the Hill and Baldur's Gate, two things that I'd never really think of together, uh, come together to make something that works in terms of providing a, a different ex- enough experience from the original Betrayal hmm. uh, while not leaning too heavily on the Baldur's Gate theme if you're not hugely familiar with it it's more like, oh, this is kind of novel and it provides a different feel to it, more like dark fantasy rather than straight up like like uh, you know silly horror like betrayal does so yeah i suppose it's fun like speaking of Baldur's gate i played so much Baldur's gate the video games mm. um when i was growing up like hundreds of hours thousands of hours probably yeah. 
same. But again, just never, never got into D and D for it. And my first fancy RPG was Pathfinder. So for whatever reason, I didn't play a load of Baldur's Gate and go, hmm, now I should play D and D. Instead, it was just a kind of like, oh right, like later on realizing that, oh yeah, that is that. (laughs) Yeah, because Baldur's Gate. It's not just like, oh, this is like D and D. It is D and D. Like it's yeah. one of, it's one of the several classic, you know, PC RPGs that that were based within the Dungeons and Dragons world. Like Neverwinter Nights, yeah, Baldur's Gate, and Planescape. Torment. Yeah. Torment. Yeah, yeah, which I actually bought and attempted to play. <laughs> Planescape Torment is hard to get into now, but it is yeah. it is fantastic. Like it is one of the best written games ever yeah. made, I think. But it, yeah. So I can, I can understand why you would bounce right off of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I started playing it and then I did something I didn't mean to do and now I'm in trouble. And I don't really know what I don't really know what to do. I mean uh, that I, could be any day in your life. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I can imagine a lot of people got into D and D just through playing those those video games. Because, like, like I can imagine the modern equivalent is something like Divinity, which technically isn't set in the world of D and D, but it's very, mm. very D and D in the sense mm. that like your attacks are percentage based in the sense that it's turn base as well. Well, and I mean, even to the point that the devs are now making Baldur's Gate three, right? Yeah, so they yeah. are. They're yeah, making. Yeah, yeah. They're just yeah, stuck they're a D twenty on it. Free. Yeah. Well, I mean, weirdly, like, so I, I absolutely adore Baldur's Gate Two. Like, it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. games ever. Like, I can, I can still quote some of the stupid little lines that like NPCs make, um, like the little dwarven guys that you meet in the opening dungeon. It's like, me temper is bad enough. Well, that just bother me all the time. Like, it's just like loads of little bits like that that have just been ingrained in my head. So when I heard that Baldur's Gate Three was coming out, I was like, oh, amazing. And then when I saw that it was Larian making it, like I love Div, I was like, oh, incredible. This is going to be great. But now, like, the more and more that I play D&D itself, and knowing that it's going to be based on D&D 5th edition, the more I'm like, <laughs> do you know the, what I mean? Like... The, the thing is, I will say though, I think a video game will make that system much yeah. better. Because it's, yeah. it's running through a lot of the admin rubbish mm. for you. Um, and yeah, I just think like I uh, I really I do really like Divinity. Um, I will say one of the things that kind of uh, aside from the terrible difficulty curve um, of that game is also the fact that because it is pretty much based on D and D, sometimes the combat can be very dry and mm. and slow. But like I honestly still think like playing combat in that fashion is way better than playing it in tabletop form. So yeah. And it's also like, you know, you you have control of the whole party, so you can actually, like, set things up rather than just waiting for your turn and all that kind of stuff. But I I do think, weirdly, like, D&D, obviously predating video games, almost, like, was made to be made into video games more than it was to actually be played Mm. around a table when it comes to combat and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really odd. Anyway. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, we kind of roundabout answer that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we kind of got there in the end. Uh, a little bit off track for this podcast is pretty good going. <laughs> uh, here's one from Brian McNiff. If you could play a game with anyone ever, who's at the table and what are you playing? <gasps> oh my goodness. Um, I think I would be playing with Kate Bush. <laughs> And I think we would be playing 
like maybe yeah maybe like a role playing game that really allows her to fully express all her creativity and weirdness either that or like telestrations <laughs> 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 I think I just want to like one be at the same table as her and two see what she could come up with in that kind of situation Kate not another picture of Heathcliff come on <laughs> No, stop drawing yourself as a donkey. Come on, we've <laughs> seen that one before. <laughs> I imagine it would either be very, really fun and interesting, or kind of a bit boring, but I'm still getting to talk to Kate Bush. So, You know what? I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I want to play like a classic fantasy RPG that is DM'd by the guy who does the voice lines in Darkest Dungeon, because that <laughs> would be... The best thing ever. <laughs> That's it. That's all That's I've it. got. <laughs> That's all oh. I want. I th- Please. <laughs> I think, yeah, like maybe I would go that way where it's just getting some like incredible actors or, you know, people who are able to embody so many different characters at once mm. around. So yeah. I don't know. Like I feel like, I feel like Donald Glover would be good because like, between Donald Glover, the actor, and Childish Gambino, the rapper, like he seems, and like his TV shows, like he seems massively creative. I bet he'd make some really good RPG characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I would then have maybe, obviously, if it could be anyone ever, then maybe like someone like David Bowie, because multiple, you know, different personas again, clearly good at making different characters. I mean, I was assuming we weren't allowed dead people. <laughs> but it says uh, otherwise, otherwise anyone. I it says anyone ever. Anyone otherwise, ever. I would have said David Bowie. Yeah. So well, you took Kate Bush out from under me because, like, Kate Bush was also on the okay. the tick list. Um, yeah. I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, maybe just just folks like that, like really good, creative. But then I, you'd probably feel I would get massive imposter syndrome sat around like surrounded by brilliantly creative you know talents across stage screen and music i think i'd also want to play monikers with willem dafoe (laughs) (laughs) because i just want to see his face like do the expressions and stuff oh no he's Um, pulled the antichrist card (laughs) oh god no I just he, to... He's only allowed to use one word to describe things, but he keeps just saying Winslow. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord! Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, let's do one more quick <gasps> one. Uh, Wills, would you like to read this one from Katie, please? Can do. Hi, Dicebreaker team. Apologies if this has already been asked. Has Don't worry, Katie, because I'll probably use answers that have already been said. <laughs> How long until we need a D and D five point five edition, or even a sixy? Um, with all the unearthed arcana and new source books fixing some of the issues for the system, surely players are at a disadvantage with having to piece together a lot of the peripheral texts. I know I feel this way myself. Would a new 6E be better to just address all the problems of the game, including the core classes, racial abilities, and inherently evil races? Thanks again for your great content, Katie. Yeah, so this is something we kind of talked about on the other um, episode, right? Because yes. we were talking about the cauldron of everything is that what it's called the um supplement book tasha's cauldron of everything yes mm-hmm. yeah 
So they, um, they have, they, they are kind of retroactively fixing things by just shoving them in books that you have to buy, which I'm sure is a very good business tactic, but when it comes to actually doing the right thing, it probably isn't great. <laughs> for clarity, they have said that though the elements of uh, the racial traits, being able to edit them or take them out altogether will be available other ways. Uh, yes. just before we land ourselves in hot water with Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they haven't necessarily specified exactly how they will be available, but it sounds I like believe, they will be available outside the book. And, and don't quote me on it, just in case it's not true. I believe, Writing it down. <laughs> yeah. I believe it, it. they will be available on Unearthed Arcana, which is for free. Uh, it's a website that you can visit to check out some of the new updates to the fifth edition uh however i'm in complete agreement with uh particularly the stuff that katie mentions which is the changes to racial traits and mm. the alteration to certain races such as the the drow mm. who who before re- fairly recently were pretty much a, a straight up evil race uh and it's not a good look. Uh, it's not nice for people who want to, you know, play the game and not have to think about, you know, one of the races being just inherently evil. Mm. Um, Especially when they are kind of allegorical to people of colour. Mm. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah. The, they're the really horrible part. Yeah, they're known as the Dark Elves. Like, yeah. um, also, you know, same with things like orcs and, and stuff like that. It's like... So I think just for that sake, I think there should be a new edition to to compile all of that together into a player's handbook. Like, I think with the changes they're making now, I think that stuff is so much more important than just like modifiers and whatever. Like, mm. just changing the approach of the RPG to subjects like race. Um, is like really important hmm. um, uh, yeah I think they should just have a new edition for that I, w- I will say that I don't know if like I don't know if now that we're getting to the stage where because d is so flipping popular now and it's mm. like I I don't know how many people if I, if I wanted them to play D&D right if I, if I said I think you'd really love D&D um, I wouldn't want to say buy these eight books <laughs> <laughs> you know buy the player's handbook and the gm's handbook, or w- whatever you know buy all of these things and then play it and then also you have to read all of them and then one of you has to know all the rules better than the others so they can help and all that kind of stuff i would r- much rather just be like just make a dnd beyond account and go make a character on that and just use a laptop like i i know that kind of puts people who um maybe don't have the tech available to a disadvantage but i do think like why I know, I know this is how they make money. They make books and that's how they make money. But I do think that to look at it from just like a, a user, like practicality kind of mm. uh, viewpoint, it's much easier to have a fluid rule system online, almost like a sort of video game, games as a service model where, th- where things are just constantly being updated and, and tweaked and stuff. Um, and having, you know, like D&D Beyond is really good for like beta testing and all that kind of stuff where they can play test little, little bits of the mm. thing yeah, that they're I would say you still need to know how to navigate that. And like even I know it's it's pretty intuitive from what I've experienced. But like there are still some things that I 
can struggle to find on there. And I do think having, if they release the PDF version of a new player handbook, that mm. would be much easier because then you could just scroll down to this page or like search for this this word and you'd yeah. probably be able to find what you wanted a lot easier. Well, it's kind of like how, sorry, it, it, it's, it's kind of like how Keyforge do that, you know, where, where it's like, yes, you if you get a starter pack, it comes with a rule a rule set. Yeah. But that's basically mm. the basic rules. If you want the fundamental, like, here is every single rule, you go online and there's a PDF that gets updated every time they change something because they know that, like, it's not a perfect system that we have in Tabletop where you produce a rule book and then you realize it's wrong four weeks later because people have actually been playing it. And then you have to either release a brand new edition of the game, which means that you need to buy a new product just to play the game that you got, which doesn't work properly. Or you need to have some kind of rules or roster online that no one's going to read. So I feel like having having like a digital version of the rule set, which does update and does uh, actually have like a sort of constantly changing and, and being tweaked and stuff, you don't have to have this issue where it's like, hey, we, we fixed that problem with our rules kind of being racist, but we put it in a book that costs $50. It's like, well, mm. like that's kind of not good enough. And it's like, I feel like you've already got the systems in place to try and like fix that. And it's, yeah, that, that that's just why I know it's not a perfect replacement. And I know there are, there are problems that the digital platform has that the books don't and vice versa. But it does seem to me, and it seems like they are kind of maybe leaning that way anyway, it does seem to me like the, the more practical thing for players maybe not as a business but for players is, is to go digital and, and start leaning t- towards that dnd beyond platform yeah because i i i will not play dnd with a paper character sheet anymore it's awful i hate it i'm not gonna <laughs> do it anymore like i would dnd beyond is absolutely fine i think it's a genuinely quite a nice website and it works really well and maybe they still need to update it to make it full like idiot proof but it's just it's just so much it's leagues better than using those horrible four a4 sheets of paper character yeah. sheets <laughs> i think Sorry, I, I also would say i think it would make a statement if there was a new edition and they were like mm-hmm. straight off from it okay these are the, the big changes we've made i think because yeah, a new edition yeah. is exciting i think hmm. yeah. i'm not saying that they should you know release it in a really expensive book but i mean that's what they would do but like yeah. i just think that a new edition with those changes would make a huge impact yeah. like culturally I, as well yeah I, th- I think it's just language isn't it really that because it's like if if we were looking at video games as a as an allegory for it like they would say oh we've done a big update like a yeah. big patch or whatever it's not the same as yeah here's the the new edition of D D. like mm. Because that's what? basically what an edition is, right? It's just a big update, a big patch. It's still the same game. They've just changed things and put new art on it and all that kind of stuff. What were you going to say, Matt Jarvis? Well, I yeah, think sorry, you Matt. two have kind of covered it. I was just going to say it's been interesting the last few years particularly. Uh, there's like an animosity toward companion apps and things like that. But you're seeing it more and more. Um, and I think the reason is because it's, you know, board games are, even RPGs, are big heavy books. Um, they cost money to ship around. They cost money to manufacture. Um, and then they're instantly outdated, like Will said. Yeah. Um, so like you're seeing, I think X-Wing, the second edition of X-Wing did it, where you, the point values for certain ships weren't on cards. They were on an app. Um, I think Warhammer's going a similar way. There are like multiple miniatures games that are doing similar things. Infinity so, does that as well, yeah, where it's just like they have like an online army builder. Yeah, exactly, they right. Can, they Be- can fluctuate. Because I... I don't know um, is is the truth, but I wonder how many people realistically... D&D is very popular, but D&D is popular to the degree where people like watching actual plays and people... There, there are people that still buy all the books, 
Um, but I would suspect that that is a tiny fraction of the number of people mm. that are interested in D and D, and most people will get the like the free um, PDF, uh, like beginner rules, whatever it's called. And for them, that's probably about enough. You know, yeah. I don't think they will be going out. And maybe D&D Beyond is then like an easier step in because it's like a lot of it is free. And then you can kind of buy piecemeal and it's much easier to browse. Obviously, there are accessibility things around. And, you know, if it costs a monthly fee, that's also something else to consider. But I think it's much easier for them to update. It's probably they make a lot more of the money out of the subscription because they're not having to ship a load of books around uh, mm. and kind of estimate demand so i i wonder whether we'll see the core rules become like you were both saying like this evolving service where at some point maybe it just loses the 5e and it just becomes dungeons and dragons on yeah. D beyond there are your core rules and maybe they put out physical editions of specific campaigns because they won't be necessarily outdated it would just be a case of okay here is a self-contained story or a safe self-contained world Maybe there are QR codes to scan for the latest like monster stats or whatever it may be. So there's that tie in there and they get you back into D&D Beyond. But you also get the pleasure of having a physical book that you can crack out for that campaign. And then once you're done, you put it on the shelf. But the rules themselves live as this evolving kind of thing. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see. I don't, I don't know. But you look at like Magic the Gathering where uh, with the latest sets, it seems like they're pushing people toward Magic the Gathering Arena for the tutorial rather than having a play sheet in the in the box Mm. itself and for them there's probably a benefit in terms of like data capture and all that kind of background admin stuff they know exactly how many people are playing they know what people are going to spend they can keep track of who's playing you know there are so many benefits to digital whereas if you send a load of books out it's expensive it's slow you've got to store them somewhere you don't know who's buying them or when they're buying them or who you're really aiming at so I think yeah. in the in the long term, we'll probably see a shift more and more towards digital. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but yeah, it it would be nice to see some some changes that go beyond like supplemental stuff where it actually changes the problematic kind of elements at mm-hmm. the core of that game rather than just around the edges. Um, but I'm afraid we're going to have to draw to a close because uh, I have to hop off very soon and we are running up on time because that's how this podcast works you naturally overrun uh but before we leave you um i should say if you've got a question for the podcast you can email podcast at dicebreaker.com which is what i forgot to say earlier um or you can find us on at join dicebreaker on twitter or you can find us at dicebreaker.com or youtube.com slash dicebreaker speaking of youtube (laughs) wheels what do we have coming up on the video side well, man, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, so this podcast will be going out on the Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and coming directly after that, um, you should see some of the um, content that we did with Cody for our cyberpunk RPG coming up that weekend, which is very exciting. Um, we will also have already posted our Jiangxi Let's Play, uh, which me, myself, me, and, and Lodi's uh, played with uh, Senfun Lim, who is also the designer of Junk Art, who you may remember, uh, and Banana Chan, who, uh, who wrote that game together. Um, so look out for that on the channel. Uh, and then the week after, coming up, um, EGX and PAX are kicking off. It's coming. That's it's here. right, Wills. Uh, PAX Online <laughs> and EGX Digital are running from September 12th to 20th. Uh, they are organized by Readpop, which is the company that owns Dicebreaker, which is why we chat about them quite a bit and we are involved. Um, so as Will said, we're playing Cyberpunk with Cody Pondsmith. Uh, we've got a panel on board games, 
um, with some fantastic guests. We've got a session on how to play or how to uh, run an amazing RPG session uh, with some more guests, uh, guests galore. Uh, oh. We've got a few live streams. Uh, we've got, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on um, over the next nine days of uh, PAX Online and EGX Digital. And speaking of EGX Digital, we have an exclusive bit of merch, uh, which Alex Meehan, for the eagle-eyed viewers on YouTube, um, has been rocking this whole time, a Tim the Goblin t-shirt. Um Featuring featuring such iconic phrases as, <laughs> oh my goodness! Hey, you didn't you even do the voice. Tim the Goblin from. <laughs> oh what? You may remember Tim the Goblin from such shows as Dungeon Breaker, <laughs> Dungeon Breaker Season Two. <laughs> uh, I didn't hear what Matt said. You didn't do the voice, although I don't know if you oh, can do sorry. it without the fake fangs in. Yeah, you need it... to be spitting something out as you talk to be Tim. Yeah, the Goblin. this is true. I've got um stage fright now so I don't <laughs> that's quite all right uh so yes uh that is a limited edition exclusive bit of merch uh, which you can find on the egx store uh today uh so if you want some of that head on over um you may have also noticed i'm rocking a part oh. of our summer summer merch which oh is this goodness. very very soft uh zip hoodie which is very comfortable the hoodie genuinely is so nice. it's really good uh, i really need a drink matt jarvis mm, delicious i'm just going to drink my paint water if you don't mind mm. Mm, yum yes mm. bottles and mugs also available <laughs> <laughs> along with t-shirts and all sorts so yeah head on over to dicebreaker.myshopify.com if you want to check out some of that and on dicebreaker.com over the next week uh, obviously we will be very busy with pax and egx um, so you'll find us there, but we will have already up is a piece on kind of playing RPGs online uh, during the, obviously this pandemic um, that continues to roll on um, by Ki uh, Hoon Chan, uh, who spoke to some players of yeah, RPGs who've taken their games online. And it's a really interesting look into kind of like you can run an RPG over the, the web, but there are still drawbacks to not being in the same room as people being able to kind of gel and the atmosphere and just immediacy of it. Um, it's a really, really lovely piece. Um, so I recommend checking it out. Next week, uh, we have a thing that I've written here only as Super Secret Alex Meehan game, uh, which is the game that Meehan you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, which you can say nothing about, uh, but that <laughs> yeah. will be going live next Pain week death. <laughs> uh, sometime. Oh, yeah. So look out for that. There'll be a couple of things about that. Uh, so check it out. Uh, you've also got a feature coming up on D&D &D cosplay, uh, which is very I good do. because I've read it. Yes, it's months in the making. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I spoke to some D&D &D cosplayers. Uh, it's really interesting uh, about what they do, uh, why they do it, and yeah. Fantastic. So lots to look forward to. Um, like I say, check out the YouTube uh, which is .com forward slash Dicebreaker, Dicebreaker.com, and of course, uh, Pax Online and EGX Digital. But for now, having plugged all that we can plug, um, it is time for us to leave you for this week. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of the Dicebreaker podcast. Until then, thank you, Alex Meehan. Oh. <laughs> thank you, Wills. <laughs> You're welcome. You were more Tim-like in that than you were before. Uh, I've been Matt Jarvis. Uh, thank you all for listening and have a lovely day. Bye. Bye.